You're listening to the Business as Usual podcast, your weekly discussion of all things business, finance, and personal finance. And now, here's your host, Jason Hughes. Hey guys, and welcome to the Business as Usual podcast. Uh, my name is Jason, and I'm here as usual with Matt. Matt, how was your week? Yeah, it was good. Um, I actually finally made a start on that portfolio I was talking about. Oh yeah, you were so, talking about the. I think um, it was one or two weeks ago. Yeah, I, I remember did, you talking about that. Yeah, so just remind t- me what you were looking at. So I can't remember what you called it exactly, but I basically scanned the market. Oh, for, the factor models. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, I did some of that and I basically scanned the market. I think I pulled up, uh, it might have been a hundred or so companies. Yeah. And then I went through each of them uh, individually and looked for consistency within the financials, just basically yep. consistency, like eyeballing it. Yep. And then I looked at the chart to see how that was going and then picked stocks from that. I think I had... 30 or so stocks that I'm that I came out of that. So, yep. I might actually follow those stocks and just sort of see how they perform. Um okay, cuz it'd be interesting to see to see how it all goes. Yeah. I've been uh looking at Atlassian and I started digging into some of their financials and annual reports and stuff. Oh yeah. Um like just because I don't know something about the company really appeals to me. Some like the culture of like the startup culture, but also they're a massive company now. Yeah, and exactly. I think there's there's definite potential for Atlassian going forward, um, but they've got to keep like charging at the pace that they're going to really cement themselves um, as a Microsoft level competitor. Yeah, um, it's a pretty strong name. Just in it's terms very of marketing, like Atlassian. Yeah, it's a very strong name and it's a very, like they make like top quality software from what I can see. Obviously, I've never used, I've used Trello. Um, yeah. But I haven't used any of their other software. But I just sort of think like in a world where everything's going software, software focused. Yeah. Like the company who's making the software to help software developers, it just like it's a like obviously they're gonna be making a lot of money because everyone else has to use what they've got. Yeah, um, for sure. My only worry would be like Amazon and Microsoft stepping into that space and just sort of beating them. Yeah. Um, and but like, I mean, I don't like know, you said, like, it, they they have to cement themselves. And just sort of they, keep, they, keep the pace. They still they have, have now. to cement themselves, yeah. And I think that they just, like, they need to keep that startup mentality. They like, I think the problem with uh, Amazon and Microsoft is they're too big and too old. They don't have the, they don't have people there who know what startups need and what these small software teams need. Like, they're just too big. And so I don't think they can really cater to that as well as Atlassian could. They could still cater to it, obviously. It's a pretty interesting business catering to 
software developers. Yeah. Like, if you, like having so many that you can build an entire business around it. Yeah. Like I was looking very at... very interesting. I was looking at um, just YouTube the other day and just the sheer amount of videos catered to um, making good videos on YouTube because there's <laughs> yeah. millions of YouTube channels putting out content. Um, there's a big enough audience to actually have YouTube channels around making good YouTube channels. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, having a business around uh, these these software developers because there's such a large, large number of them now. Yeah. Well, it's becoming like almost like obviously you have businesses who make accounting software like Xero and uh, MYOB and uh, QuickBooks and all of those companies. It's kind of like that. It's like, well, just software development is just an inherent part of every business now like every business nearly and definitely into the future every business is going to have to have software development teams and so you're going to have to run some sort of uh, infrastructure to allow that software development team to operate Um, and as the demands of software increase the like sort of complexity of the code is going to increase and so you need those management systems um and it's hope like i would hope for atlassian that they just become the industry standard like this is how it's done um like outlook is the industry standard email client um like i would hope for atlassian they just like you know when you apply for jobs like if you go look through like seek and stuff Mm -hmm. um you look for like say officer admin jobs or whatever like experience with zero or myob is just one of those um just one of those skills like that yeah it's just on every single job um like what atlassian would have to hope for is for their like so they've got jira um it would just be like using jira is just a software engineer you just have to like have just it. standard yeah yeah it's just something that like because it it would make everyone's life so much easier if everyone just uses that and then like they can just like log into it and everything it'd be um, nice too for a australian tech company to like be a global giant as well yeah, so that's I part mean, of why I like I just really want the company to succeed because they come from UNSW, the two yeah. founders. Yeah, um, and I'm just like, oh, that that's like really really cool. They're also like some of the richest people in Australia now. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I I wonder how much you probably know how much they hold of their uh, um, their stock. Not sure how much they hold of their stock, but they. The AFR rich list came out last last week, um, and if I can just quickly find it, um, so Scott Farquhar is worth nine point seven five billion dollars, and Mike Cannon Brooks is worth nine point six three billion dollars. Holy! And shit. I, I I would assume that most of that is there there at Lassian stock. Yeah. Um. So, like, to put that in perspective. They're worth more than Frank Lowey, who owned um, Westfield. 
Wow. Or whose whose family owned Westfield. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're very and like Gina Reinhart is worth thirteen point eight billion dollars. Jeez. Yeah. So it's um Yeah, like they, they're worth a lot of money. Like just imagine that. How old like, did you say they were again? Oh, uh, they can't be very old. That they from their photos they look to be about thirty. I'm just gonna Google them. Um, he is, oh, he's 40. Scott Farquhar's 40 years old. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing the other guy's the same-ish. Apparently their JIRA is used by organizations including NASA and Tesla. Yeah, well, there you go. That's pretty cool. So it's becoming like very much a, um, it's becoming very much like the industry standard. Yeah, they said if it was listed on the ASX rather than the NASDAQ, it would rank in the top most 20 valuable companies above Resmed, wow. uh, South32 and Suncorp. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Good on them. It's good to yeah, see some talent like really, coming out of Australia. Yeah, and it's like one of those really sort of like innovative businesses. Yeah. Like it's not... Uh, like, I know we, we've harped on about this before, but it's not one of those entrepreneurs who are just, like, making something easy so they can make money. It's just all about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're really making something that people are getting a lot of value out of. And, like, I mean, that's the whole, like, the dirty word that, like, entrepreneurs, like, oh, just provide value, provide value. But, like, it's really, like, they really are. Well, yeah, I mean, you it. it you can tell by just how much the uh, company's worth. Yeah, and they're building. They've built this platform of apps that are just kind of indispensable at this point to companies, and it's it's really really cool that has come out of Australia. Yeah. yeah how's the new phone going, by the way? How's the phone going? Yeah. As in, like, just then, or just in general? No. You know, yeah, just in general. Oh. Awesome. I love it. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's so smooth. Like, the other one, just so laggy. I haven't, like... Yeah. I don't do too much with my phones. It's just, like, using a few apps. And... Yeah. Yeah, like, I had a... I had a potato there um, in my last couple months of the US. Like, I got, yeah. it, I got it for free. It was pretty weird, yeah. actually. I, I went and got a SIM card for, like sim card and data and everything for like 50 bucks or something they're like Mm -hmm. here's a free phone i'm like but i just got a (laughs) sim card like no 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 the phone comes with it for free i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) like it wasn't it wasn't that great but like in terms of using all the apps and stuff it did it fine yeah well that's what i've realized a lot like because i got um like my phone died yeah um, not too, like, sort of you, towards the end of last year. Are you Apple or are you Android? Uh, Android. Yeah. Um, for no particular reason. I just prefer it. It just yeah, makes pre- more sense to me. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> Really, the biggest reason I prefer Android is because I don't have to have a bunch of apps on my home screen. Yeah. 
like they're in a draw like <laughs> like that's kind of like really the only difference to me yeah um and so yeah like i've got a google pixel 2xl now yeah. um i had a google pixel xl before which i'd had for like 2 years um and it broke like it just turned off one day oh really shit <laughs> yeah like I don't know what happened. I just turned off. Um, I have a theory that it might have overheated. Oh, uh, okay. Um, because I was like, I was riding my skateboard. I went to the beach. It was a really hot day, and then on the way back from the beach, it just turned off. That reminds me of my other phone. Actually, I had a, I had a phone before it. I can't remember what brand it was now, actually. But it had um 4K recording capability. Yeah. And um. You could only record for like three, four minutes before the phone would overheat. Yeah. <laughs> like it just didn't make sense to have the 4K recording on there when it just overheats. Yeah. You can only do it for a couple of minutes. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like I, it, yeah, I think it overheated and then it was still on the warranty though. Yeah. Um, so I took it back to JB Hi-Fi um, and then like it was sort of gone for ages and like, I was using an iPhone, like, 5S or something, or iPhone 5, just in the meantime. Yeah. And I just kind of realized, like, yeah, like, I'm basically doing the same stuff on my phone, and it's fine. Like, maybe the screen's a little bit small. Yeah, well, um, I, like, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going to go back to getting those expensive phones ever again. Like. Yeah. The, the phones that, like, nowadays, the, the lower end. This is 280 bucks. Like, I don't think I need anything with any more power. Yeah. Like, I'd much rather spend that money on, say, my computer itself. And yeah. have, have my computer have more capability than, than my phone. Yeah, no, it's definitely, like... I mean, I like I like the Google Pixels. Um, like, when um, oh, I they sent are it nice. in... I sent it in, and then it got... Like, they replaced it. They were just like, yeah, we'll just replace it. Um, but they didn't have any of the original Pixels anymore. Um, so, they were just like, yeah, we'll just give you a Pixel 2. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I got, like, a free upgrade. Um, and so, I'll probably have this phone for the next, like, couple of years. And it's fine. Like, it's, t- it's totally fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting that... I mean, I, I still, I listen to, like, the Verge cast every week. Um, I still get very into, like, sort of looking at the new phones and, like, comparing what all the companies do. I'm still very into that. I just don't have the new phones. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still like the tech and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But and I um, still get very into it um, and watch all the keynotes and whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, like, I don't use all that like all the new stuff like i very rarely take photos with my phone yeah so i don't need like an amazing camera did you um, see the uh huawei a30 it was a30 p30 p30 that's it p30 p30 yeah um i'm just gonna bring it up quickly that's like that was like the bluish looking one wasn't it uh i'm not sure but you just need a watch a video or something on it on its yeah. zoom capability yeah no i did oh see my this God. yeah like 
I, it was some, there was some lady in a skyscraper and she like zoomed down on these two, two kids on the ground. Yeah. And they were it's like clear super as day. Cool phone. Yeah. The cameras are getting insane. Yeah. In, in phones. It's just like totally crazy. Like I, I mean, I can still see like, there's obviously very real advantages to having like a big DSLR. Yeah. Versus having a, um, like just a phone, like a camera in your phone. Yeah. But like, there's a big shift happening in the camera industry at the moment. Um, and I think a lot of the advantages of the DSLR, while you'll never be able to do the things that you can do with a DSLR on a phone, just like by virtue of the fact that the phone's too small and there's not enough space to do everything. The things you're going to be able to do with the phone are going to be better than the things you can do with a DSLR. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think it's even needed. Like the average person who wants to take, oh, like yeah. a, you know, like a decent f- photo, the phone is perfectly capable of doing any of that. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, just the average person doesn't need a camera anymore. Yeah. Um, like for photographers, there's still the argument. But that argument's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're, we haven't even introduced what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about Apple. Um, basically because I just finished reading uh, Walter Isaacson's book about Apple. Yeah, so you're an expert. Um, yeah, I'm now a certified Apple expert. Um, <laughs> I'm still waiting for the certificate to come in the mail please enlighten um, us all <laughs> but you know like that these things they just take a while um i hope the mailman doesn't like scrunch it up or anything but you know um yeah but it was a very interesting book um it's like walter isaacson for people who don't know is probably the one of the best biographies mm-hmm. of our generation um, and he, so he's, uh, written biographies on people like Einstein. Um, he recently wrote one on Leonardo da Vinci. Um, he wrote the one on Steve Jobs, which when it came out, it came out just, um, shortly after his death. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like an instant number one, like New York times bestseller. Yeah. Um, would you put it above? We talked about Elon Musk's book last week. Oh, would you put it above? Oh yeah, yeah. It's in a different league. Yeah, um, like a total. It's just like it's difficult. I think like so. Part of why I would say it's better is because it really ties together the themes in Jobs' life, and part of those obviously helped by the fact that Jobs is dead. Yeah. So like the story is complete. Um, obviously the Elon Musk biography is, um, like it was written, I think in like 2016, 2017. And I mean, even since then, a lot has changed for Musk. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like a, it was a really, really good book. Um, and 
it shed a lot of light. So a lot of things I didn't know about Apple. Um, and um, what, just was some, made what was me... some interesting things that you found out that you didn't already know about Apple? Well, it's not necessarily things that like, like just facts that I didn't know. It's just really like things that, I mean, if you look at, if you look at what Apple does and the way they do what they do, it makes sense once you sort of hear the thinking that Jobs had behind those things. Yeah, okay. Um, One of the interesting things that I just didn't know was that they actually designed, or didn't finish designing, but they were designing the iPad before the iPhone. Really? Um, Yeah. Because the iPhone came out in, what, 2000 and... 2007. 7, yeah. And I think the iPad was... 2010-ish. Yep. Um, around there. It was just before Jobs died. Yep. Um, but yeah, they were developing the iPad um, and then sort of pivoted to use the, the innovative technology in the iPhone was multi-touch. Yep. It's like these screens that worked essentially on... I think it's like a sort of electromagnetic sort of um, touch when you touch them. Um, so you are so you can have more than one finger at any time, like touching the screen. But before then, there were touch screens before then. Um, but like, do you remember like sort of before the iPhone? I don't even some... remember there being touch screens before that, to be honest. So there definitely were. Like I... Remember my well, nothing my mum yeah. had a phone sort of around the time of the iPhone, like just when it was like coming out. That yeah. it was it was made by Nokia and it had a touch screen on it, but it was like a, you couldn't type on it, so it had like a flip out keyboard. So you would turn the phone on its side and then f- like sort of slide the top half up, uh. and then you'd have a keyboard in there. Um. But like the touchscreen was essentially like you would press I guess, the screen. Was it pressured? Pressure sensor? Yeah, it was like a pressure. Like it was almost like there were buttons behind the screen that you were like pressing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so the innovative <laughs> technology was this multi-touch display, um, and so you could like pinch to zoom. You could type very easily. Like you could do all these things. Um, but when they developed it, they developed it in a large form, um, thinking about doing like a tablet computer. Yeah. And then they realized like, or Jobs realized that actually the entry for this technology into the market is in phones. And so they had to miniaturize the technology. A smart. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very... the amount of people that have phones yeah. compared to like, yeah, tablet computers is many more times very interesting yeah oh and the other thing um just like we'll touch on this a little bit later as we get through the story of apple but they were sued by the the beatles record company um i I remember reading about this copyright infringement essentially well not copyright i think trademark infringement something along that because the beatles record company or a subsidiary of the beatles record company or like legally related um was called apple or like just called apple 
Um, and when they <laughs> when Apple started and listed on the um, share market, they were they were called Apple Computer, and they got sued by them, um, basically because like, like stealing our company name, like all this stuff. Yeah. And the settlement essentially involved like a bit of money and whatnot, and Apple agreeing to not compete in the music industry. Really? Um, yeah, and this is in like like way back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like, yeah, well, obviously we're not going to compete in the music industry. Like we're a computer company. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> um, it, It's like back then it was thought just to be like a stupid part, like clause in this agreement. And they were like, yeah, of course. Um, and then like funnily enough, Apple by like mid 2000s was the most influential company in the music industry. <laughs> um it's like something nobody could have seen coming obviously um and yeah, yeah it's just, that was just a really like interesting little that, bit of information did that have any ramifications for apple starting yeah so that? they like so they um, in the mid-2000s? got sued again um oh, and geez. the beatles were the last major uh major band not to like the last major holdout from itunes yeah so, um, obviously, it, did, it didn't hurt Apple too much, but no. yeah, they did end up getting sued again and were wrapped up in um, in litigation for Apple. But every company is wrapped up in litigation all the time, so yeah, it's not a, it's not like diff like su- such a huge difference from any other company. I don't even think Jobs would care. Well, he actually did. Um, did he? Yeah, he cared because, and this is one of the things that I learned from the book is. And one of the one of the big takeaways I think from the book was that he was an artist at heart, um, and he really cared when he when he was developing iTunes. He really cared about having the music on there. He wasn't thinking about it from a business perspective, really. He just wanted to make music available to people. Yeah, and he um so not having the beatles on itunes was something that was troubling to him because he he wanted not, yeah not from a business perspective just from he wanted them to be able to access um access the beatles music hmm. and this was one of the things that i think is part of why apple has been so successful is because Steve Jobs made a lot of decisions that weren't necessarily business-driven. Um, they were driven from a place of he wanted to make the best products possible and serve some need in society, not necessarily just make money. Yeah, and ov- and that- obviously he had the business philosophy that if you make good products and put things into the world that people want, you'll make money. Yeah, the customers will um, come. Yeah, but he was very, uh, like, sort of adamant about making sure that the product was right. Um, and it came down to, like, there was a lot of things in his products that, like, one of the things that they, when they were developing the iPad, one of the things that they sort of realized was, that you 
like when they first developed it, it had sort of sharp edges. Yeah. And what they they were would spend meetings talking about what they wanted the iPad to be. Like what did they sort of want people how do they want people to use the iPad? Mm-hmm. And what they really what Jobs really wanted was for it to be a very easy, very comfortable device to use. And so what he realized was that if it has sharp edges, it takes away a little bit of that because you're not going to be like, you're not going to walk up and scoop up the iPad as you're walking <laughs> to the couch. Yeah. It's like basically what he said. Um, so if it's got those rounded edges, it's just a more comfortable object to handle. Yeah. Um, and so like, you're going to like leave it on the, coffee table and like you're going to just walk past and pick it up and sit down on the couch and start doing whatever you're going to do with it um and i think that had a profound influence on the success of the products um it's pretty amazing to think in that way yeah it's been a very sort of enlightening sort of read to see the products from that perspective yeah. Um and looking looking at how the products have been built and how they've like all these sort of like different things that normally you wouldn't really think about too much. But they've all been very deliberately thought about by jobs. Every single little aspect. Yeah. And the like all the little bits and pieces from how you unlock the iPhone to how you like sort of find what you want or um, the fact that they don't have on-off switches um, was a big like philosophy of Jobs is that he didn't want it to be something that you had to turn on. Like it was just something that you had, like you would pick up and it would be ready to use. Yeah. Um, Like all of these sort of different things. Um, that was very different from other, uh, other manufacturers and not so much today, like in that specific case, but that makes me think, how do you actually turn them on iPhones? No. Well, I mean the iPads and stuff, they don't have an on off switch because I haven't actually had one. Well, I mean, they have a power, like a power button. Um, and so like you press and hold it and it boots up. Ah, uh, right. Um, uh, but it doesn't have, like, a switch that just, like, shuts it down. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, on my laptop, for example, if you press the shutdown button, like, there's a little button on the side. If you press it, the computer will shut down. Yeah. Um, on a but Mac, you, you can't, if like, you press the power, power button... Yeah, like, if you press the power button on a Mac, it goes to sleep. So, it's, like, it's a subtle difference yeah um and yeah so he just had this um different product philosophy that i just found very very interesting um and since i finished the book like i think i finished it on tuesday or wednesday this week yeah i've just been like or what and while i was reading it as well just thinking about like from that perspective while looking at different things and 
yeah. thinking how like jobs would have designed it or like how it's been designed like why is why is it done this way and not that way and it's i think there's a whole area of study that would you could do in that area do you know why jobs was uh kicked out as ceo the first time well yeah so there was there were like i'd have to go and like reread that section of the book um to remember exactly what happened but essentially um i forget the guy's first name but his last name was scully yeah quickly scully. Google. um he because was... i imagine like with his passion for the products that he built it would have yeah. really hurt to be kicked out as ceo yeah. and voted out so when he puts think... so much into every single product that he makes i think the important thing to realize about apple um so it was john scully by the way okay um, the, th- the important thing to remember about Apple is Apple pre-1997 and post-1997 was a very different Apple. Yeah. Um, so when they started, they started like, it's the classic story. They started out of a garage making little computers um, and then they they quite quickly became a big company. And they, I kind of get the sense a little bit from reading the book that they grew a bit too fast for really who they, like really what they should have. Well, it was, it was only a couple of years after their garage, wasn't it? That they listed. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that long after list after, sorry, their garage that they actually listed on the stock exchange. Yeah, and so I feel like in terms of a corporate sense, they got too big too quickly and Jobs essentially wanted, he still wanted to craft products and um, like sort of make make good products and the board and Scully just wanted to make money. Not saying that, it was bad or whatever, um, but they, they, um, I guess they became a company too quickly. Yeah. And Jobs was still very much in the mindset of like making, like at that point he was making the Macintosh, um, and he was. Um, there so that was, was kind of confusing a- to me, like reading through. Like yeah. all the various different models of computer and sort of where they sat in Apple's timeline. Yeah. It, it The reason it's confusing is because there was two streams, essentially. Okay. So they had the Macintosh division and they had the Lisa division. Yeah. Um, and the Lisa division was sort of the more Apple corporate computer. Yeah. If that makes sense. And then the Macintosh was Jobs Baby. Yeah. And so they make um the the Mac the Macintosh ended up being the successful computer. Um the Lisa wasn't particularly successful. Um there was a lot of sort was of back it, and f- yeah. I was gonna say, was it the the Macintosh that merged into the iMac? Yeah. Was that um, what was developed into the iMac or was that just a another different 
stream as well. The iMac came out, I think. Let me just because the iMac came out in 1997 after yeah, so that's returned. Yeah, after Jobs comes back, the iMac. That was sort of. If anyone listening, that's the transparent plastic looking uh, computer. Yeah. And it had like the different, like crazy different colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, essentially the Macintosh eventually became the iMac. Um, and what I, I do want to go and read more about what Apple did between Jobs leaving and Jobs coming back. Yeah. Um, because obviously it was a biography about Jobs. Um, and so it doesn't have a whole lot of information about that. No. Um, but yeah, essentially the Macintosh was supposed to just be a completely like consumer PC. So it had the like graphic display and the first one shipped with like some like fun little games and like all this stuff but essentially there was a corporate power struggle and it sort of jobs and scully split yeah they wanted to take the company different ways and there was a vote to have like sort of who the board wanted to have as ceo and jobs felt that without the support of the board he couldn't be at apple anymore what year was that that he ended up leaving I think it's 85 because um, i'm just i'm just looking at yeah, how the 19... stock price sort of trended during that period that he wasn't there yeah so it's 1985 that yeah. he left apple yeah um and so that was a like sort of he went off and he started next um, which was another computer company and it was designed the the next computer was sort of aimed at universities and mm-hmm. uh, professional users and it kind of flopped it didn't really do all that well um, and then Apple not Apple sorry Jobs bought Next no not Next sorry Pixar Yes, yeah. And Pixar was um essentially they cr- they made computers for animation. Um so and they were selling these computers to companies like Disney. Okay. And then during the time at Pixar, they a guy called John Lasseter joined and was at a high level in Pixar. And John Lasseter is an animator, essentially. And they would make these short films on the Pixar computers, partly to show what the Pixar computers could do, but also to sort of satiate Jobs and Lasseter's artistic... uh, their, their need to do something artistic. And they entered them into film festivals, and they won awards for these short films and a lot of the short films they would sort of animate objects so they would like make a candlestick that 
had a face and moved and stuff or they would like do all these different objects essentially um and then at some point they joined with disney and made a an agreement with disney to make a feature-length movie Hmm. and this was the point that i think i told you about it last week this is the point that I really got a lot of insight into how Jobs thought about products, um, because the first the first movie that Pixar and Disney made together was Toy Story. Yes. Yeah. And it was very interesting how the idea came about. Essentially, Jobs was had this idea that they all objects have some intrinsic purpose and it's not necessarily actually believe this but it's the way he thought about things that all objects have an intrinsic purpose and if they were to be sentient they would what their goal would be would be to fulfill that purpose and so you see this in toy story by the toys being sort of their purpose is to be played with and so essentially the whole plot of Toy Story is to be played with by Andy like the the toys like get separated from him and they want to get back to him and be played with like essentially that's the plot yeah every in um, every single well in every single movie pretty much yeah, well, definitely the first Same two sort of movies. Yeah. Um, and then the last... The, well, not the last movie. I found out yesterday. There's a four, yeah. Toy Story 4. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then, like, I guess Toy Story 3 grapples with the idea of whether they their purpose really is to be played with or if their purpose is to be played with by Andy. Yeah. And, like, that just really gave me a an insight into jobs was when he designs a product it's designed to fulfill a purpose um and that's the way he comes to the design process and i think it's the reason that the products that apple made especially after 1997 were so successful yeah um and one of those like was the iPod because that's really what pushed Apple from just being a computer company to being a consumer electronics company was the iPod yeah and sort of taking that idea of Apple having been a total um like like thinking about it from the like what is the purpose of the product like what why why do you want this product um and then how do we implement that and so if you look around at sort of the mp3 players or the the music players that were around at the time a lot of them were really difficult to use um they were really clunky they were um you would struggle to sort of navigate them um 
And part of the reason for that was that they were trying to do too much. So what Jobs wanted to do was make an iPod or make a music player that you could store a lot of songs on and that you could pick up, plug your headphones in and listen to a song. Yeah. Essentially. Um, And so like the click wheel, for example, was a distillation of that in that you can scroll through your songs by sort of sliding around the click wheel. It was such a neat little feature. Like, I yeah. still remember, remember it. Yeah. Um, and so, you, and it makes sense. Like, you don't want to be, when you scroll through a thousand songs that you have on your iPod, you don't want to click the down button a thousand times. No. So, the click wheel, you scroll, like, you sort of slide your finger or thumb around the click wheel and you'll scroll through the songs and the longer you're sort of spinning for the quicker it goes so yeah. you can be very accurate yeah with your selection but also get through things very quickly um so that was one of the things the other thing that they did was you weren't able on at least on the original iPods you weren't able to make playlists on them Mm -hmm. you could have playlists on them but you would make your playlist on the uh, computer and then sync your playlist i wonder how they put on the music pre-2003 onto those ipods because that's when itunes came out was in 2003 yeah so um i wonder what software or something they had on there Uh, i think um I think there was a precursor to yeah, iTunes. There has to have been something. Because um, I'm just looking at the stock price and it's had a crazy ride. Like it's it went and ten bagged twice before the iPod and then came right back down again. So like it went from like thirty cents to two dollars all the way back down to fifty cents. And then they released, this was when Jobs came back in, they released the iMac and it went from 50 cents to $5 and then all the way back down to a dollar again. And they yeah. released the iPod and iTunes in yeah. 2003. Um, no, hang on. I've got the first iPod was released in 2001. Yeah, that's what I got as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I just mean the period between 2001 and 2003. Oh, wait up. I think... Oh, wait. Hang on. Did they release... Okay, I've said I've got it here as Apple released iTunes for Windows. Yes, I think that's the So, thing. yeah. So, it would have been released surely at the same at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, iTunes for Windows came out in about 2003. Yeah. And part of the... So, this was part of, like, a controversial sort of... Not controversial, but there was a debated topic whether they should make the make iTunes for Windows because part of famously part of Jobs' design philosophy was that hardware and software should be completely controlled by one company to yep. make the best sort of experience. Um, but there was kind of a split there when they made iTunes for Windows because they made. Um, 
they made the they wanted to make the experience of the iPod available to everyone. And this was a, a point where they would sort of, if you didn't have an iPod, or if you didn't have a Mac, you couldn't buy an iPod because you wouldn't be able to use your iPod. And so they had to make that decision to, if they wanted everyone to be able to use the iPod, they needed to make iTunes yeah. for, uh, for Windows. But yeah, so this was a, it was a very interesting part of the book where they, when they were developing the iPod in that they essentially wanted almost everything to be done or Jobs wanted almost everything to be done in two clicks. He didn't want, like, so if you wanted to put on a song, it was, you needed to be able to do that in two clicks. Yeah. Which set it apart from other music plays and that you would have to click through a bunch of things and then eventually the song would come on. Yeah. Um, but he wanted it to happen quickly. Like, and he wanted it to be simple. Like, he, he never wanted you to have to try to figure out how to use it. It always had to be obvious. Yeah. And I think that's really, like, the iPod navigation is really a masterpiece in sort of that philosophy in making something that's not necessarily obvious how to navigate a huge list of songs, but he made it obvious. Yeah. Um, did you did you own one yourself? Yeah. So I owned what, one what of the... What model did you have? It was the... I think it was called the iPod Nano, but yeah. I know the iPod Nano changed over time. It was the... Like it had sort of a longer screen and a little click wheel. Yeah. Yeah. I had one of those as well. I had iPod Touch first, I think. Yeah. And then I broke it and then I went to the iPod Nano after that. Yeah. So I actually bought an MP3 player from some other company because I kind of... um, Dirty. Dirty. And (laughs) yeah, my dad holds this over my head. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because I kind of wanted to buy it and like they were like oh we've got an iPod like just use that one and I was like no like I, like I kind of wanted to buy my own like mp3 player yeah like so, so like buy it on my own and like I bought it and it was terrible like it was <laughs> so bad like so my dad had a huge collection of music my daddy had collected over the years yeah um and <laughs> So, like, I just, not, like, sort of went onto his computer and put all his songs on this MP3 player. I remember it was 8 gigabytes. So, I could fit, like, all of his music. And the thing was so bad that essentially it would freeze up. Oh. And it wasn't quite clear when it had frozen and when it was just not doing what you wanted it to very quickly. <laughs> so How frustrating. Yeah, so essentially what would happen is you'd like double click the button and what it would do, like computers nowadays, if it's frozen and you're still clicking buttons, it won't like continue to execute that action. After it, yeah. You know, like it would, ju- it'll just like do the action and then like, you know, okay, now I can accept more key presses. So this I can thing just, didn't I can do just that. Have, I can imagine you just doing more key presses and then you just make the situation worse. Yeah. Because and- now it has to go through 50 key presses. <laughs> Yeah, so now it goes through all the key presses. and But what happened is it would go through, like, you would click OK, and it would go into, like, songs and then whatever. 
And just <laughs> by nature of the way it worked, when that happened, which was basically every time you used the device, it would play Alanis Morissette's hand in my pocket. <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to change it for a while. <laughs> so I listened to that song so many times when oh I was like God. 11 or 12 years old. <laughs> because this, this device was just so bad. Yeah. Um, I'm so, just thinking too, like in terms of Apple, I feel like like Jobs as an investor, you sort of had to be a bit of a visionary as well. Yeah. Especially in those earlier days before the, the fundamentals really popped up. Yeah. Because I was, I was just with big companies, I sort of like to look back and go, what was it that made it like a great investment opportunity at that time? Yeah. And I mean, the only thing that I can see in, I know this is like hindsight analysis, but was it really took off in 2004. And then by that stage, we had the iMac, we had the iPod, iTunes, and the iTunes for Windows. And yep. then their revenue, it kind of was like in a bit of a lull between 2001 and 2004. And then in yeah. 2004, that's when it sort of, their sales started to pick up and their revenue started to pick up in 2004. And that was the the beginning of the the massive run up they had. Yeah, and it and that was it from, really hasn't really stopped since then. No, and that was from two dollars. Really, two dollars? Oh my god! That I mean, you can say and they've that's, had oh, they've had stock splits as well since then. Yeah, and I mean, you can say, oh yeah, that's the obvious place to invest, but it, I I still feel like you had to be a bit of a visionary. Yeah, you really had to believe in the company and believe in jobs. Like, because back then, like, oh, well, there's all these other companies that have portable music players and make computers. Like, go invest with them. Yeah, why Um, is Apple going to be the best? Yeah, it's not obvious that Apple's going to take off like it does. No. Um, And it's really, yeah, it's, it's really tough. Um Obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty. Look back, and sure. like, oh, obviously Apple was doing better than anyone else. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is the really as an investor, I'm making an effort to read a lot of books that aren't about investing. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is a big mistake that a lot of people make when they get into investing is they go and they find all the stock market books they can find and read them. And yes, they'll be useful to a large extent, but no stock market book that you're going to read is going to sort of give you the insights into little things like Steve Jobs and how he thought about products and how that displayed in Toy Story. Yeah. Um, and I think those are re- the really important things. Yeah. And I mean, there's people out there who don't even look at fundamentals and can still beat the market. Like they just do it on purely qualitative analysis. Yeah. And I, th- I think it does have its place. Like you want to be able to, I mean, if you're a bit of a futurist and you can sort of think about what's going to be coming into the future, even if you don't you know, your success rate isn't 100%. Even if you can just pick a, a few of those 
products from those companies that will take off, then that's really all you need. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it is is being able to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's what we, we spend significant time on this podcast talking about the future of companies and the future of the tech that they are developing. And I really think like if you if you look at like when you talk to people about like sort of less informed people like your family and whatever about the stock market, like the obvious things are like, oh, well, if you'd invested in Apple in 1970, you would have yeah. been like a billionaire by now. I actually just stop you there. I had a, yeah. uh, I had a friend who, um, <laughs> their dad was yeah. g- like finger on the trigger about to invest in Apple at 50 cents. Oh my God. And he didn't. And he's been kicking himself ever since. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Yeah. Imagine, you'd have FOMO the whole way up. Anyway. Yeah, that's... But that, that, that's the thing is, like, really, the... Like, backing a company like that, when it's in its early stages, is the people who can do that are the people who are going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was... That was um, I think when Jobs came back, was sort of when it was hovering around 50 cents. Yeah. So yeah. what basically like when Jobs came back, the company was in a lot of trouble. Um, they sort of really hadn't, I mean, they'd been selling products and whatnot in the like 10 years or 12 years since since Jobs left. But they really hadn't done anything groundbreaking. And so they, they were in quite quite a fair bit of trouble and jobs kind of saved them i mean obviously there's a lot of other people who worked very hard but yeah jobs sort of steered the ship yeah back to safety and they and then i think the sort of brilliance of steve jobs took the stock into stratospheric levels yeah that it is now um and things like the iPod. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that people think about Apple as a computer company or now they probably think about Apple as a phone company more so. Yeah. Or a tech company. And I think the really interesting thing is that while, yes, they manufacture tech products, I don't think it's fair or... Or I don't think it's completely correct to say that they're a tech company. Like, and that's just what they do. Yeah. Because really, like, when they released the iPod, they created an industry for digital music. Like, before then, people had CDs and uh, even tapes still. And that was how people listened to music. There was... and the music industry was trying to go digital. Um, And some of the early attempts at doing that was through um, streaming, which I found quite surprising. Um, So some of the very early sort of Sony and um, a couple of other companies tried to create streaming services, essentially. Um, And the worry essentially was that and they were trying to protect their files against piracy. So they didn't want people to be able to download the file locally. Mm. 
and it was Apple and Steve Jobs really and like he was a the thing that we sort of miss is that he was a very very astute business person and he could make deals with people and get people to sort of bet on him um and he was able to convince a lot of music executives in these big record labels like Jimmy Iovine and like big people to let their music go on iTunes in this downloadable format that was kind of easy to get around the DRM. Yeah. Um, And it created a whole new industry to the point that Steve Jobs became the most powerful person in music. Um, And he did the same thing again with eBooks when the iPad came out, which, I mean, famously... Uh, um, Jeff Bezos had tried to reinvent the book industry and that's that's essentially what Amazon started out as but Bezos essentially wanted every book to be $9.99 yeah and what Jobs decided to do with the iBook store was make every book uh, let the publisher set the price of the book and they take 30%. So Apple takes 30% out of the price of the book. Mm. And that ended up being more like the model that Amazon runs now. Um, because it was just Jobs saw the way the industry worked and the way the customer wanted to interact with that industry. And he facilitated it. Yeah. Have you um, have you seen the interviews with Tim Cook now? I haven't. That's my next sort of it's thing I want to do. It's pretty interesting because I thought that's where you were taking this, this point. Um, because basically he said people will not remember Apple as being a tech company in the future, but rather a health company. Interesting. So he thought, essentially, your iPhone is going to be able to diagnose everything um, from the comfort of your own home. Interesting. So instead of being, instead of going to the doctor or doing anything else, um, your phone will be able to do it for you. So that's it. Where he wants to move in the future. And hopefully is remembered for something bigger than just being a tech company and more in the health side. Yeah. And I mean, I can see this being a thing because there are other apps out there now that show promise in actually diagnosing just from um, certain things like your cough. So you yep. cough into the phone and then it would look at the, the waveform that it formed yeah, and then to a reasonable degree of accuracy, better than a doctor, um, it'd be able to diagnose your cough to a few um, conditions. That's so cool. I guess that's, yeah, I, I guess that's something that eventually that they're going to try and move into. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Like I haven't read a whole lot about Tim Cook, but yeah. I think it's, it's worth talking about him in talking about Apple 
because he was really so he was the COO um, for a long time when Jobs became ill. Yeah. Um, and so Jobs had several bouts with cancer, um, and obviously that's what eventually killed him. And during so Jobs took three medical leaves of absence during his time. Yeah. And every time Tim Cook was the one who took over and sort of ran the day to day. And that made a lot of sense just because of Cook's position at the company and whatnot. But Jobs never really believed Tim Cook to be a product person. And there's a there's a direct quote that Isaacson puts in the book that he was never a product person. And, I mean, I don't want to sit here and talk about, oh, Tim Cook's so bad, whatnot. I haven't read enough about him to make any judgments. Yeah. But it is glaringly obvious, bar one thing, that since Steve Jobs died, there hasn't been anything revolutionary coming out of Apple. No. No, it's even the even the phones recently are quite similar. Yeah, they're very in, in how they look. Like yeah, they're very iterative. They're very like, and that's fine. Like they sort of like iterate to keep revenue flowing into the company and whatnot. Yeah, the only thing that really stands out to me as a very Jobs esque product is the AirPods. Yeah. Because just bar none, the AirPods are the best wireless earphones on the market. Yeah. Like, they just, from a jobs perspective, like when you think about it, well, the AirPods want to be listened to. Yeah. So it's easy to open, easy to put them in. They connect to the iPhone easily. Um, They even connect to my, like I've got a pair, they connect to my, um, Google phone very easily. They just work. Just they're, looking at them too, they don't look like they make sense. They're so no. small. You you question how they're such good quality and and the battery as well. Yeah, and it's just like the case is so minimalist. It's like you just flip it open. Like there they are. You pull them out. It fits into your pocket super easily, so it's always with you. It just, like, it's so Jobs-like that I wonder if Jobs didn't have some idea for AirPods before he died, and that was in a vault somewhere at Apple, just waiting for the technology to be to be good enough to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, it very well could have. You never know. Yeah. Like, I've had other wireless headphones in the past, and they just don't work as well. Like, they, the case is too big to fit in your pocket nicely, or, like, you've got to sort of fiddle to get it back, like, the little headphones back in the case and close it, and, like, it just doesn't work as well as the AirPods do. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's very much, like, Although it's not a revolutionary product on the scale of something like the iPod or the iPhone, it just seems like that's the product that just like hit the mark. Yeah. That people like people questioned 
do we need wireless headphones? And a lot of people like sort of didn't want wireless headphones. And then Apple came out with the AirPods and people were like, okay, well, that makes total sense. Yeah. Like it's, I don't have to think about it. I just take it out, put it in my ears and like, people, along we people go. People also, some people didn't like them at first as well. Yeah. But it's funny because they ended up, them. they ended up liking them. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll admit I was one of the people that was like, yeah. oh, you've got a electric like, toothbrush thing in your ear. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you car- carry your dental floss around with you. Um, like I was yeah. one of those people, like I'll yeah. admit it. But yeah, like once you try them, you're just like, this is just how wireless headphones are supposed to be. This is how they're supposed to work. I mean, Apple's in a really good spot at the moment too for innovation. Like they are... They are cashed up. Yeah. Like, you would hope that there would be something innovative coming out from them. Yeah. In the near future. And I think that's a large part. Um, I think they're trying to do that now with... They've got rid of iTunes. Yeah. Which is, like, in the last week, they got rid of iTunes, which is a big thing. I mean, iTunes was what propelled them into the stratosphere. Yeah. Um, so it's not a decision to be taken lightly at Apple. Um, so they're looking at their services. Um, they're looking at how do we reinvent TV? How do we reinvent uh, uh, news? They've got Apple News now. Yep. Podcast is kind of a big thing. Um, it's not the type of revolutionary product that's going to push them up like the iPod did. Um but I think, yeah, if they can get some revolutionary idea around TV or around like any of these things, like beyond what Netflix are doing, like I don't. It has think, to be something different. Yeah, it's not something good you enough. haven't already thought of. You know, yeah, it's not good enough for them to launch a streaming service. And this is this is what I like rail or like I'll I'll, and I think maybe next week's episode maybe we should talk about streaming services, but everyone is sort of banking on Disney plus being like the Netflix killer. And it's like, well, it's just another streaming service. Like unless they come out and at this point it doesn't look like they're coming out with something revolutionary. Yeah. Like some new way of watching TV because yeah, I was going to say, in my opinion, I think it'll just be, something that people have in addition to Netflix if they want it. Yeah. So like people have Netflix and another streaming service. Like they might have two of them like Stan and Netflix and they just sort of switch between the two. Yeah. You know? Well, cause like what was like Netflix was so revolutionary because it was any movie you want on demand. Yeah. Like you don't have to know when it's on and like tune into the TV at that time. Yeah. And you don't have to have a physical anything. And it's just like sort of one low monthly price. So that was kind of revolutionary. It crushed. It crushed Blockbuster. Absolutely. Like I remember we we talked about this before and I don't think it was in one of these podcasts. It might've been one of the earliest ones we started before this one. I think it was two weeks after or a week after that Netflix IPO'd or launched or whatever it was. Blockbuster topped their stock price and never came yeah. back since and yeah. went all the way down to zero. Yeah. So, and that's really like 
that was a revolutionary idea. And yeah, like if Apple come to the table, they've got the infrastructure, they've got the the size and they've got the industry connections. Yeah. To bring something revolutionary to the table. And if they've got the people to think about what that might be, like Apple is going to win. Yeah. And I know, look, I know a lot of people say this as well, um, but I would love it if Tesla came under the arm of Apple. Like they're, in terms of their innovation, I think Apple could really benefit if you were to place, say, Apple technology inside Tesla. So it essentially becomes Apple um, and then basically go from there. So you're saying like Apple, like say, say Apple buy Tesla? So- well, yeah. And essentially they have Apple software and whatnot inside Tesla. Yeah. Okay. Like I don't I don't know how like practical this is. But I just think that would be an interesting opportunity where Apple could really sort of flex their innovation and sort of make it sort of develop something like those AirPods that you just go, "Wow. That makes sense." Yeah. And I mean I I think that my issue with that is that you've got Elon Musk who would be very... Oh, he'd butt heads, for sure. Yeah, he'd be very, like, sort of resistant to that. Um, yeah. And that's fine. Like, what he's building what he wants to build. I, I do see what you're, what you're saying in Apple sort of reinventing that industry in a way that is unexpected. Yeah. Um, but I guess, like maybe what I think the big thing that I got from the book is that the Apple of 1997 to 2012 was Steve Jobs. Yeah. And in some ways, like our conversations, we've had a couple of conversations about Apple up to this point in like our conversations are always like okay so what's going to be the next product that apple comes out with and that's going to push them up above everyone else so much it's hard to say because i'd <laughs> yeah i mean if, obviously if we were able to say we you know yeah obviously be... if we were able to say that then well like that would make the point moot yeah. um but also i think for there to be such a revolutionary product like that, you would need another Steve Jobs. And maybe Apple's future isn't to be that company. Yeah. Like maybe Apple's future is to work behind the scenes on things or to like reinvent themselves again. Um, Because they were just a computer company and they were a pretty small computer company. And then they reinvented themselves to be the consumer electronics company. Um, And one of the things that Jobs, like sort of towards the end of the book, they spoke a lot about what Jobs' legacy is and what he felt about his career and his life. And um, as he was, he was essentially, he knew he was going to die because he 
like his cancer just got so bad that for several months before he died he knew it was coming and so he spent a lot of time with Isaacson who was writing the book um, and sort of talked about what he thought about these things and a big a big thing that Jobs wanted to do in his life and something that he was very proud of was building a what he called a durable company and he looked at Disney which obviously Jobs was one of the largest shareholders in Disney for amounts of time and he was um, on the Disney board and he admired Disney for being this company that had lasted for so long and continued to do things for so long. Yeah. And he, that was sort of one of the things he was most proud of was building a company that he believed could be durable and continue to reinvent itself to last for generations. And so I think that there, hopefully, within Apple, there's a culture and there's a corporate structure set up that would mean Apple can pivot to do new things if the yeah. consumer electronics industry becomes like outpaces them. If the Huawei's of the world or the Samsung's of the world or whatever end up like just doing more than Apple can do in terms of innovation, maybe they'll pivot somewhere else. And in 20 years time, maybe we will see Apple being a health company or like whatever they might be. Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, if they were to become a health company, it would be a massive sidestep from what they're doing now. I mean, still, still, I guess they're going to require the technology to be able to enable that. But the the doors that that opens is massive. The size of the health market, healthcare market is huge. Yeah. And the, and even if it doesn't end up being the healthcare market, like maybe there's a market that doesn't exist yet that Apple ends up creating. Like we don't know. Like, I mean, like app development wasn't a thing until Apple made the App Store. Yeah. And now that's a huge industry. Yeah. Like people spend or likely will spend their careers making apps. Um, (laughs) Those little games. Yeah, like maybe like the little games and then there's, I mean, Instagram is an app. There are legitimately, yeah, like decent apps out there. Yeah. And so you think about, like, maybe they're going to invent an industry. Maybe, like, there's, like, they're not going to come up with a new product, but they're going to pivot to something. And I think that we may be seeing that with their turn to services. Yeah. In a way that maybe, like, because you look at Apple in 2001, they released the iPod, and that's a revolutionary product but it doesn't make Apple take off until 2003. Yeah. And so maybe we're going to see a couple of years where Apple is building out their services business and then suddenly something's going to click. They're going to come at, at 
WWDC in 2021 or 2022 and they're going to announce a product and everyone's going to be like I didn't know I needed that but like that makes so much sense yeah and then Apple's going to skyrocket again like maybe that's going to happen I think it's key too to like keep an eye on the technology out there as well because the the stuff that you sort of see in say science mags or something like that eventually uh you know is is turned into something that could be sold to the consumer yeah like i can't remember how long ago it was that there was flexible screens say and then only just recently that was applied to samsung's foldable phone yeah so i think maybe there'll be stuff coming out that we don't know where it could actually be used yet but apple might take up some of that tech and then use it in a way that we have no idea yeah um so i think absolutely that's that's part of that's going to be part of the equation and i think there's also definitely there's definitely sort of space for apple to like they they've even kind of started it a little bit with did you watch WWDC last week? No, I didn't. So one of the things that they announced was sign on with Apple. Yep. Um, which is like sign on with Google, sign on with Facebook, and essentially yeah. those services with Google and Facebook, you get a secure way of logging into what could be insecure websites. Um, okay. Like essentially like because the authentication is done through Google, like it's pretty secure. Yeah. Um, and it's also very easy for you to log into all these websites. You don't have to remember passwords and whatnot. Um, and then the trade is that Google gets to track you going around the internet. Yeah. Um, the, I guess what Apple came out with is that, so it's a, easy way to sign in everywhere except that they are promising not to track you okay yeah and apple have taken this sort of stand and i kind of get the feeling that it's very amazon-esque in that they're creating these sort of services that must be completely unprofitable for them and I think that their hardware business is funding that. Yeah. It's like, you know how Amazon have, they basically make no profit because they've got certain business units which are very profitable and then other business units which aren't and then they sort of cancel each other out. Um, and I th- have a feeling that maybe Apple is trying to transform itself into your sort of entry into the digital world. Mm. So for a long time, like your iCloud account, like I don't know how much you've used Apple products. Not not very much. So essentially you have an Apple account or an iCloud account. Yeah. And that's what you use to log into the App Store and into like everything. And if you get a new phone, you log into your iCloud account and everything downloads for you. Yeah. And for a long time... Your your Apple account has been your access into Apple's products. So you 
get an iPad and your Apple accounts linked there and you get a Mac and your Apple accounts linked there. It's never been something that you use on the internet. And like this is kind of a big shift for Apple in that now they're going to use the iCloud, like you're going to use your access to Apple to protect you as you go around the internet. Yeah. And I think that could be like quite a seismic shift in who Apple are as a company, Um, especially given their sort of hard stance against sort of the data, uh, the data practices of Google and Facebook in that they are very sort of protective of your data. You could definitely see people turning to Apple solely on that reason. Yeah. Um, Like I, when I heard about it, I was like, oh, that's kind of um, like, that's intriguing. Like I might look into that when it starts getting widely adopted. Yeah. Um, Like some of the other things was like, you can essentially, you know, when you make, uh, when you sign up to websites, like you get emails for the rest of time from them. Yeah. Absolute pain in the butt. Yeah. So essentially what Apple have built into their sign-in with Apple is it doesn't sign in with your personal iCloud account. It essentially makes like a dummy email address. Okay. And then in the settings, like, and then it routes the emails into your personal iCloud. So the website that you're signing up for doesn't hold your personal information or your personal iCloud account, <laughs> but you still get the emails. That's yeah. so if you want them, but yeah. what you can do is you can go into the settings of sign in with Apple and turn off the emails from any company you want. So That's essentially like idea. you just switch the button and then it like cuts off, like it'll just shut down that email account. That's such a good idea. Yeah. And it's like, it's because it's one of those things, like when you're going around the internet and you have to sign up for an account and it's like, oh, like, I know if I do this, I'm going to get like more emails. But if you know that you could just do it and you're totally safe doing it, yeah. kind of like, like a, a police force for the internet. You're just going around in a little bubble. Yeah. Like they're protecting you as you go around the internet. Yeah. Like that could be like, revolutionary on the scale of seatbelts true like because right now like the internet is kind of like this not not necessarily dangerous place but like your data is getting taken everywhere you go but as you said they so hey this isn't going to be profitable for the company well maybe they'll license the technology or whatever but like the biggest like the reason that Google provides it is that they track you and then they can sell ads to advertisers yeah. that will land in front of you. So they're making revenue directly from the data they're collecting from it. Yeah. Whereas what Apple are saying is that they're not going to collect I that get, data. I guess, I guess in that case, they're going to make money indirectly through the acquisition of more customers because of that service. Yeah. So... And it was one of the things like um, they gave away 
iTunes for free when they put it on the Mac. Yeah. Um, because they knew that if they gave away iTunes for free, people would buy iPods. And it was kind of like, I mean, you might have used iTunes as your the place that you sorted all your music, but also if you use iTunes for that, then you would also end up buying stuff from iTunes, buying songs from iTunes. Um, so it's one of these products which is free, but gets you to enter Apple's ecosystem, um, which in a way is kind of like, like it, it's not totally upfront about what they're doing, but yeah. it's not on the level of Google or Facebook, which are giving you something for, something for free. Um, and then they're making money by turning around and selling something like your data to someone else. Um, and it's kind of like you don't really understand what's going on there, at least with Apple. It's like, oh, I want what Apple can provide me, so I'm going to go buy an iPhone. Yeah. Like, at least that's the consumer's choice to do. I, d- I do think I do think Apple is the better of the tech companies out there. Yeah. Like, in terms of... We were talking about this before, but in terms of antitrust, like, Google has done some questionable things in the past. Do you know of any questionable things that Apple has done to sort of stifle their competition? Um, yeah. So... Apple's sort of antitrust issue is their app store. Um, Oh, yeah. So they run their app store that's completely closed down and then they take a cut. The big thing is that they don't allow subscriptions in the apps um, and they don't allow payments through the app that doesn't, that like they can't take a cut out of. Okay. So, um, so for example, Audible, if you have Audible on an iPhone, from what I understand, is you can't buy books directly in Audible, um, like in the Audible app. You have to go to the website and do like a transaction on the website and it updates on your app and like lets you download it on the app, obviously. But you can't do the transaction through the app because Amazon doesn't want to give Apple 30%. Interesting. Um, It's the same thing for Spotify. You can't sign up for a Spotify subscription in the app. Like you have to go to Spotify's website and sign up and then come back and sign in. Um, And it's like... How is that hurting competition? Or is that something unrelated to competition in the antitrust laws? Well... I think the way it's hurting competition specifically, I don't know so much with, well, I guess with um, like Apple sells audiobooks on on their, on iTunes. Um, so they make it easier for you to buy it through Apple than through Amazon. Um, and they operate Apple Music. So they make it easier for you to um, get into like, get into apple music than to get into spotify yeah um so i guess in that sense it's creating uh it's lessening competition because it's making apple's services easier to use yeah okay i see um so that's one of the things the other thing that was really interesting and it's actually what i was just talking about the sign in with apple is that creating a clause in their 
sort of agreements with people who provide apps on the iPhone to say that if you offer sign-in with Google or sign-in with Facebook, you have to offer sign-in with Apple. Interesting. For your app to be accepted in the App Store. Yeah. And so that's like a... I mean, you can argue whether that increases or decreases competition. Um, Like that's just asking you to provide Apple service if you want to be on Apple's platform. Yeah, I can definitely see it being argued that way. Um, Like, but the... the interesting thing is like if Apple were to turn around and launch a dating service, for example, specifically, <laughs> I know this, um, this example, because they spoke about it on the verge cast, essentially Tinder is tightly tied in with Facebook. Essentially, when you sign up for Tinder, you sign up using your Facebook account. Like yep. you don't have a separate account. Um, and that's just because essentially they want a fully fleshed out profile. Like it just automatically fills your profile when you update stuff on Facebook and updates on Tinder. Like that's part of their product. If they were forced to provide sign in with Apple and then Apple came to the table with a dating service. Yeah. Then you've got an issue. Like that's yeah. a competitive issue. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a similar similar thing with spotify and apple music yeah um and like netflix and apple tv when apple tv fully launches i wonder how they're all gonna fare coming out of this i think it's gonna be interesting to watch the antitrust i mean like in the last week it's kind of known now that the department of justice and the um it's not the fcc the the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, are both looking at like Apple and Amazon and Google and Facebook for antitrust issues. Yeah. So I think it's definite. We're definitely going to see some movements in that space over the next sort of like eighteen months before the next election. Yeah. With a lot of posturing and a lot of um, pushing to uh, actually look at these companies from an antitrust perspective. Um, it'll be interesting to see what lines the two parties take in the US on it. And then also what the DOJ and the FTC do um, it's, before then. I feel like it's hard for them too because like these companies are the market darlings. Yeah. Like, they are loved by all people, obviously, because they've made them lots of money. Um, and there's also, I guess, there'll, there'll be the look at, you know, if you were to break them up, like, is that, like, is it really necessary? Because what comes with size is essentially efficiency. And when you break things up, they're just not going to be as good a company as what they were before. Yeah. And that's part of, like, it's going to be a big, like, uh, we were talking just before the the podcast about antitrust and the way antitrust has evolved over time. And we have a whole episode on antitrust. Um, The way it's evolved over time to focus on different things. And really, like, 
like there are people who sort of research this and theorize about this at law schools and it's kind of entered this new era where we've got companies who like facebook you can argue whether they provide good or not um but really like if they do provide good the good they provide is because they're so big yeah so breaking them up would cause harm in other ways and so it's balancing those two things yeah um and same with google same with amazon like amazon like we said like they don't make any profit because some of their business is very profitable and other parts of their business isn't and so it's like if you were to break them up they wouldn't be able to operate those unprofitable business units like Be- you you wouldn't be able to do say like their one day shipping yeah like that is such a strain on the company that i i feel as though breaking that up would sort of it's it's hard to say it's harming consumers but it's not benefiting them yeah and so it's a very interesting conversation and i think it's can i'm excited to kind of watch how it pans out over the next uh like 18 months to two years yeah i mean not being an investor in the company it will be exciting i think if i were invested in one of those companies it would be i think i'd be nervous yeah to sort of see how it all plays out yeah you'd definitely be because I, I feel as though i don't know i feel as though something is going to come out of it something like, has I d- to i don't I, think... I don't think they can go through the entire process of sort of looking at them all of them and then come out and say it's all good um they're all going to remain the same that all things yeah. aren't going to change yeah i and think I there'll think... be something to at least one of them yeah at least i th- i kind of think it will probably be google yeah and i mean this is this is a conversation for another episode but i definitely agree with you in saying that something has to come out of it because otherwise like these sort of probes are going to look completely toothless yeah and no one's going to take them seriously in the future yeah um so is there anything else you wanted to add like i'm just realizing that we're going for quite a while here (laughs) Um, we're coming we're coming up on two hours yeah Um, yeah no no that's pretty much all i wanted to add i just sort of yeah just with that whole sort of situation i just feel like there'll be something that comes out of it because it'd be like with the the bank i don't know i just liken it to the royal commission into banking if they were to basically do that sort of uh deep look into those uh banks and then essentially come out the end and say no everything's all good um yeah yeah (laughs) like i've they're gonna have to recommend something so yeah it will be interesting to see how we go forward with these big tech giants yeah and i think if you're if you do want to learn a bit more about this, I definitely go and read Walter Isaacson's book or get it on Audible. That's the way I got it. Um, definitely doing that myself. It's like, yeah, it's like 25 hours. It's not really that long. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's just such a good book. It's a really like, it's a really tragic story, like Steve Jobs' story. Um, the way he was, like, he ended up dying. Um, I did have notes in the um, in the doc about this and that I think there was probably some undiagnosed mental illness. Um, okay. Because he was, he was a very strange person. He, 
like played a lot with Eastern philosophies. Um, he spent a lot of time in India when he was younger. Um, and he spends his whole life doing these crazy diets. Like yep. where he would like just eat carrots. Like for months on end. Like that's all he would eat. <sighs> and he would do like, yeah, these insane diets. Um, and it's eventually like, yes, he got cancer. But eventually it was the his eating that killed him. Um, like yeah. they, they found the cancer quite early and they could have saved him. But he he thought he could fix it through one of these diets. And it was in the time between when they found it and when he actually let them sort of operate on it that it spread to a point that they weren't going to be able to uh, yeah. save him. And then the last few chapters of the book were really sort of like heartbreaking, like seeing how he was... Like, he needed to eat, and the doctors were making him eat, but he just couldn't get around that mental block um, that of, was... What was he... Do you know what he was eating at the at the end there? Like, what was his... I, do you know his diet? I don't know specifically what it was, but it, it wasn't like they were saying that he needed, like, needed to be eating meat and, like, chicken, and because he'd had his pancreas... Like part of his pancreas taken out, and yeah, so he wasn't he wasn't digesting food as well as a normal person would, and so yeah. he needed very high quality foods. Yeah, um, and he wasn't like he was just eating like like two or three vegetables, yeah, um, and it just wasn't enough, and like it made his deterioration happen a lot faster. Yeah. And yeah, it's a very tragic story towards the end there, in and how it rips his family apart as well. Um, like his family would watch him like sit at the dinner table and just not eat anything. Um, and yeah, I I think like obviously I'm no expert, but I think that there was some mental illness that sort of went undiagnosed. I did just see this little bit in the docs here about. Um his drug taking yeah yeah so that was part of like his his younger childhood um and he actually says that his experience with lsd was one of the most important things that he did in his life um because i in the past i haven't taken them but there were people that were close to me that sort of referenced him yeah in actually taking LSD. Yeah, I have heard like like obviously... it was a like it was a necessity to sort of enlightenment and, and yeah. to be able to do these things and make change like he did. They basically used him as a um, example. Yeah, in, in why that they were taking it. Yeah, no, I definitely like I haven't obviously done that, um, but I listened to Sam Harris like his podcast and yeah. he has a very similar has had a very similar experience with LSD okay um in that he like he did it a long time ago yeah and it changed his perspective on everything yeah um and that I was getting that sort of sense from Steve Jobs as well um and I think 
there was an episode of Sam Harris's podcast with Stephen Fry, and Stephen Fry also says, like that was like LSD was one of these like moments that changed his life. There you go. Um, like the. I mean, I've I've heard a lot from um, Joe Rogan as well. Yeah. On these sort of psychedelics. Yeah, now that it makes you see things in a very different way, and I yeah. think maybe maybe that's part of why Apple like his product design philosophy is sort of stemming from that. Like that's certainly possible. Um, but yeah, there was definitely, or well, I think there was definitely some undiagnosed mental illness, and he just wasn't able to get over that to yeah. make himself healthy again. So it was quite a sad ending to the book. Um, but it's very interesting to read and very interesting to sort of get an insight into why Apple is such a successful company. Yeah. Anyway, did you have anything else you wanted to point people to? Um, no, no, that's that's pretty much it. Um, I think definitely that book that you've recommended... Yeah. Um, I'll be definitely taking a look at that. The The only really experience that I've had with his life is pretty much through the movie that came out. Yeah, I want to watch that. Um, it was a really good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but it just wouldn't do it justice compared to, say, the book. Yeah. Um, but it, it did give a good run through of sort of his philosophy to like... It was that same sort of thing to making products, um, how he was with his family and like his dedication to the role yeah, um, was sort of put before everything else. So yeah, no, I would, um, if people haven't already seen that movie um, and don't have 25 hours to read a book, um, yeah, definitely spend a Friday night or Saturday night watching that. Yeah, I think I'm going to see if I can find it somewhere and watch it tonight. Yeah. That was the one with Ashton Kutcher, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Yeah, he um, played it pretty well. Cool. I'm going to watch it and see. Anyway, so that's probably a good place to end that. Sad note, but that's, yeah. that's how, how it ended. So Yeah, and we'll be back next week with another episode. So thanks, guys, for listening. Um, and yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>